So a few weeks ago, I introduced you again to that little rhyme that says your uh, walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So let me confuse you further today and say, but today we're going to talk to you about your talk talking, or we're going to talk about our talking. So um, Dub has done a great job already of reminding us of the fact that we have one mouth and two ears. So maybe you can immediately have the image of the elephant with its great big ears and the whole idea that we should listen more than we should talk. But in, in this um, passage in James, he, he says, you know this, right? And then he carries on to give some very practical applications um, that have to do with the way that our, our Christian walk has a particular understanding of our talk. And, and so in the first chapter, um, the verse that I want to focus on today is verse 19, where James says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So it's an interesting um, pitch on this because he says, you know this, right? And I had a good look at that to see if, if it, what's he trying to say? Is he saying I'm telling you something new or I'm telling you something important? It, no, it's more, again, like this sort of understood wisdom that, that James really embraces. And now he says, you know this, right? And, and so what I want to talk about today is not something new. It's not something that we don't know. Really, we could say we know this, right? So we would all quickly say that, you know, the use of our words is a challenge. And how many times have we said something and wish we could take it back? And you, you can't do that. So once words are out, they're out there. And for good or ill, they have reached the ears that they were spoken to. And we're not able to do anything more about that because we've said what we've said. So James says, you know this. And we would say, yeah, we do know this. But what's the point here? So as I looked as carefully as I could at that, the thing that seems to be the point is the last little part where he says you should be slow to anger. And I wonder, well, why the first two things would f easily fit in his you know this, right? Which is that you should be quick to hear and slow to speak. Yeah, we know that. And slow to anger. Well, why does he bring anger into the question? And I, I think maybe that's the clue to his wanting to reinforce something that we already know. So I, I want to go to that part first of all. And then we're going to back up and have a look at what it means to be, um, you know, um, slow to speak and, and quick to listen, all of those sorts of things. Slow to anger. Um, we know something about the situation that the readers found themselves in. They were in a tumultuous time. They were in a time of upheaval. They were in a time of upset. And so in, in the middle of all of that, 
James wants them to be careful about the way that they talk to one another. And as we have a look at that and then try to apply it to our lives, I, I, let, me, let me just identify a few areas in which that component of the whole listening and talking um, dynamic comes into play. The, the first area that I think about is, is the area of conflict. When you're in some kind of conflict, you're conflicted um, in yourself, you, you're in conflict with others, you're in the middle of a conflict. Um, it, it's a time when maybe what is, is manageable in the rest of life is not so manageable anymore. And when it's not so manageable anymore, maybe our, our, our words get us into trouble or our words can't get us out of trouble or our words are, are needed to help get out of trouble. But certainly the, the environment of conflict is one in which the words that we speak to one another are, are definitely at play. To, to apply that all the way forward to us, there's some other scenarios that kind of come to mind. Um, the first one is that if someone um, uh, sort of challenges me or challenges you, maybe accuses me or you of something, then that also begins to heat up the situation and very often the only thing that we have recourse to is our, our words. So what are you going to say when someone sort of attacks you, when someone challenges you or accuses you? The, f the first thing that might occur to us is to be defensive. So someone says, you said this or you did this, and it was, it was harmful, it was wrong, you shouldn't have. Immediately, the humanness in us might kind of rise up and say, wait a minute, I, I'm going to defend myself because what you've just charged me with is not true. You, you didn't understand it, you weren't there, whatever might be our retort. But certainly, we, we find ourselves when someone comes at us, uh, often with a posture of defensiveness, and the use of our words um, becomes really the only kind of arsenal that we have that we can bring to bear. A and in that situation, I think what James has to tell us in this verse in James 1 is, is very, very pertinent. So we'll come back to that in a moment. So in, in the middle of conflict, um, the use of language begins to stir up um, in, in the context of someone maybe accusing us of something or um, saying something about us. Again, words can kind of rise to the surface as a way that we would seek to defend ourselves. A third area um, is the area that I, I've simply called judging, that if, if the, the situation of conflict is um, the environment of upset times, um, a, a defensive posture is, is someone being upset with me, 
then we might say that judging is, you know, an upsetting situation. And in an upsetting situation, again, words invariably become the only recourse that we have, the, the way that we talk our way through, talk our way out, um, try to understand, try to uh, verbalize, try to summarize, try to help sometimes. And many times over the years, I've been in a situation where it's an, an upsetting situation, very often in, in a relationship. Um, so in a relationship, um, a couple will come to me, for example, and they'd like to talk because things are not going well. And their coming to me is they're bringing the words that they have prepared so that they can speak about their upset. And then I also sort of find the burden to say something. And in that situation, again, what James says about how we behave becomes absolutely important. So when someone comes to me and says, um, Here, here's the thing that has happened. Here's what he has done or here's what she has done. Uh, here's what's going on then I have to immediately begin to process what I've been told and I'm expected to say something. Many times the wiser thing would, for, would be for me not to say anything at all. Um, but I, I find that what, what sometimes seems clear and simple to me actually becomes very complicated and the way that I use words becomes critical. I remember several years ago there was a, a person who came and talked to me about something that had happened and it was it was honestly a situation of abuse and I thought okay how am I, how am I going to sort through this because this person was making an accusation about somebody else and it was something that the person had done um, that the one that was speaking to me considered abusive and um, I then needed to talk to the person that was being accused. And as I thought about what I had heard uh, and wondered about what I would say, and, and here's what's, what's important, I, I became quite angry with what the person was reported to have done. And so when the person came and sat down across from my desk and, you know, I said, this is what has been said. And, you know, before we do anything more, before we have other people that we should be talking to, what are you doing? And, and I remember feeling stirred up and, and quite upset with the person. Probably within an hour, I had a completely different take on the situation. Because as is very often the case, the person now that was being accused of doing something that might be thought of as being abusive had been the victim of the same kind of abuse. And my thoughts kind of characterizing this person as a perpetrator when I was going to begin the conversation turned into the, the kind of ambivalent confusion 
that said, but wait a minute, that's not where the abuse started. And of course that's the way it always works, that uh, abuse um, just has cycles. It, it carries from one person to the next, to the next generation to generation. And at the end of, of that conversation, you know, I, I realized that what had been stirred up in me was not appropriate because I really didn't understand the whole situation. And so I was judging, and in my judging, I needed to be careful to back up to what James had said about how to use our language, use our words in a, in a, a healthy way, in an appropriate way with one another. So you would probably think of other kinds of scenarios, but I think of these, the, the idea that, first of all, there are times that are upsetting times, and in those times, words get into the mix. There are relationships in which people are upset with one another and may become defensive, and then we need to be careful about how words come into play. And when there's an upsetting situation or a confusing situation, then once again, words come into play because we need to be careful that we don't judge a situation and then immediately speak to it, immediately try to say, well, this is what has happened. I've got it figured out. I know the answers. Um, there's a whole lot more to most situations. Of course, many people would say there are two sides to every argument or there are two sides to every situation and we would be wise to try to understand what, what the two sides are. Well, having said that, it kind of tries to answer the question, well, why is James saying you know this right? What's, what's the situation at hand that then requires them to act on what they know? Let's go back and think of the scenarios in which we may find ourselves and how what James says would be helpful, would be wise for us. So the beginning of what he says is be quick to listen. Two ears, one mouth. And I'm Irish enough not to be quick to listen. Um, there's enough of the flesh in me that is too quick to speak. And, you know, we should just sort of declare a truce because we would all admit that, yes, we probably say more than we should too many times. So what does James say? Well, he says, you know this, right? So in, in an upsetting situation, here's wisdom about the use of our language, the use of our tongues. So he says, be quick to listen. It's it's kind of counterintuitive. How do you quickly listen? It's easy to quickly speak. But he says, no, as quick as you are to say something, be that quick to listen. And boy, if we could just tell ourselves that and allow that wisdom to seep into our lives, that the very first thing we would do in any situation in which the temperature is rising to say, okay, listen, just listen, first of all. How many times um, had we listened, would the outcome have become much more productive? 
we, we all know that. So what does it mean to be quick to listen? Let, let me suggest there, there are three aspects to our being quick to listen. So it, once I've got in my head, in my heart, and in my will, not to talk first, but to listen, then what's going to go on as I'm listening, as I'm being quick to hear, quick to listen? First of all, I, I need to listen to the person. So I, I'm listening to you. And that begins to ground me in the relationship that we have. And it begins to help me sort whatever information there is to, to glean, um, to communicate. When I first of all understand that this is you, this is a person, um, this is not an event, this is not a, um, an, an action, this is a you, this is a person, and you are a person in God's image, you are a brother or sister of mine, you are someone whom I love, someone of whom I'm fond, and that needs to be well in my mind before we begin any transaction, especially if the temperature is rising. So who are you to me? Who am I to you? What's at, at, at stake here in this conversation? What's at stake in terms of our relationship? How will we walk away from this situation? I remember one time a person called me and uh, her beginning conversation was this. Um, could we pray? And she said, Lord, Please help Ian to hear what I want to say to him in the spirit in which it's given. Whoa, the temperature immediately comes up, right? Because what is she going to say to me? And we, what she was going to say to me was not easy to hear. I would have said it wasn't fair. I think even now it probably wasn't fair. But I had to wonder where this relationship was going to go. When the conversation is over, what is our relationship. Who are you to me and who am I to you? And I need to have the space of listening to first of all make sure that I'm grounded there, that, that I understand that this is a person, this is a, a relationship. And when the conversation is over, I need to be intentional about what that relationship with this person will continue to be. The second thing, or the second aspect of listening, I think, is that I need to be aware of the fact that I'm not only listening to a person, but I'm listening to a story. Um, every person's life is a story. And in the listening time, because when I'm talking, I probably won't have enough um, opportunity to sort and to process. But in the listening time, if I have said, um, okay, this is a person, this is uh, the relationship that we have here, then I can also ask, what is this story? Because nothing is an isolated event. There's no isolated, you know, conversation or happening it's all part of a whole story and so when a person 
discloses something or when a situation is one that is upsetting in one way or another, it's all part of a story. When I, when I think about the person that I'm listening to, how does what she or he is saying to me fit in their story? Um, and when I understand what their story is, I may have a better understanding of what it is they're saying to me or what it is we need to talk about or what it is we're trying to deal with. Where is this person coming from? What biases are there in this person's life and, and perception? Why, why does this person phrase what she does or he does in, in this certain way? Um, what's in this person's story that kind of surfaces um, some hurts, um, some experiences of the past that are being triggered by this event now or even in our conversation. What is it that is in this person's story that's not in my story and I need to make sure to understand what it feels like to be in his story, n not in my story. Um, if, if he has experienced some things that are far from my world. I need to seek to understand what it feels like to experience those things in his world, not in my world. It's not enough for me to say in my head, well, that's ridiculous. He shouldn't think that way. Well, he does think that way because his life is a story and this conversation is, is part of the story. So, first aspect, the notion that it's a person that I'm talking to, listening to. Second is that everything is part of a story, a bigger story. And the third aspect of listening is the listening to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actively participating in each conversation that we invite him into. And so as I'm listening, and I, I need to have the space of listening so that I can hear him. I need to be, you know, quietly asking him for wisdom, for understanding. What is this person telling me, Holy Spirit? And what are you telling me? What, what is there that I need to know from you about what to do here? Sometimes in, in very special situations, um, the Spirit may just say something to me or to you, and it's not something we knew. But when we say it to the person, ultimately, it's like a light goes on or something dawns on the person. And I've had a person say, how did you know that? Why, why would you say that? Because that's exactly what I'm feeling or that's exactly what I'm trying to process. Well, it's because the Spirit... Uh, is very concerned with every way that we interact with one another. And so listening to the Spirit and following his leading is very, very important. One of the things that is um, involved in this whole matter of, of uh, listening and speaking is that sometimes it's not that we say too much, but that we don't say enough. 
sometimes there are things that we should say when, when the time comes, when we have listened, that are quite courageous, but they can be an insight that comes because the Holy Spirit has really granted that insight. And so you, you might say, well, f for some reason this verse of the Bible comes to my mind, and um, if the Spirit is talking and we're all listening, the person again might say, wow, uh, there was some kind of an epiphany for me right now that 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 sort of hits the nail on the head. So the process of listening is very, very critical. Uh, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of the Highly Effective People um, says one of the habits, I think this is the one that I enjoy most, where he says, um, seek first to understand than to be understood. So the whole pros process of being quick to listen is to say, okay, quickly, let me gather all of my thoughts together here as I listen because before I say anything, before I try to express my opinion or my viewpoint or my suggestions, um, I need to seek to understand and then to be understood. So my inclination is first of all to be understood and then to understand. I'd rather just kind of be like ramdash and say, okay, here it is. And then if the person says, no, 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 that's not it at all. You're totally wrong. Then I'll back up and say, okay, help me understand. How much better is it if I say, no, let, let me be sure that I understand, first of all. And once I know that I understand, then I'll be able to move to the next step and seek to be understood. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, what are the aspects similar to the aspects of being quick to listen? What are the aspects of being slow to speak? The first part of it is to be careful with my words. Words are a phenomenal commodity, a great resource. Language is a gift from God to us. Um, human language Human languages are fascinating. And even from language to language, there are greater and lesser abilities to communicate certain things certain ways. And so how language is going to be used in our relationship is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. It's, it's a marvelous thing to say that um, we're not just grunting at each other here. We're actually saying intelligible words. And so what I say should be carefully, carefully considered. Rash words are not of any use. Um, careless words, hurtful words can't be taken back. And and so the first aspect of of my then embarking on responding in the situation, having listened, is to be very careful with what I say. Be very careful to understand what my words mean to the person who hears. I may say a word that means 
you know, maybe something normal, neutral to me. It could be a trigger is the language we use these days very often for the person that hears me. And while I might not intend anything by it, what is heard by it is something quite different. Even in the most harmless ways, we confuse one another <laughs> by what we say. I thought you meant this. No, no, I meant that. Whoa, really? That's what you meant? I had no idea that's what you meant. Why didn't you say so? Well, I thought I did say so. Well, no, you said this. And we go, oh, my goodness. And, and that's when the temperature is off. That's when the temperature is cool. When the temperature comes up, all of a sudden, the words that we use are, are charged many times positively or negatively. And so we need to know, first of all, that we should be awfully careful with the words that we use when, when we do um, obey this, this verse and find ourselves being slow to speak. The second thing is the matter of courage, being courageous. And as I say, the, the number of times that in a conversation I should have said something but didn't is, is kind of staggering to me as well. Um, someone said that a good conversation ends with asking the question, um, what is the last 10%? So the idea is that w when we talk to anyone about anything, we'll, we'll pass along the 90%, whereas the last 10% is where the real truth is or where the real impact is or the real message is. And it takes more courage to give the 10% than the 90%. Um, and many times we cop out. We simply do the 90%, but we chicken out about the last 10%. And the last 10% needs to be carefully selected and spoken again in keeping with the first aspect Th that you know maybe we need to say you know what um, this conversation has been really helpful is there more that you should be telling me um, what's the last 10% of what I should know I had a situation once where a person told me of all of the struggles in her life, and it was to explain a conflict that, that we were in the middle of. And when we got through my listening as well as I could to the story she had to tell, I said, is, is there more than that? Uh, and I, I told her about the 10%, and I said, is there a 10% that you need to say? And she said, I probably should have told you that I was a victim of childhood satanic ritual abuse. Bam! And, and that was after a long time of telling a whole long story, but it needed to be a safe time and place, both for the teller and for the hearer, when the really important things could be spoken. Uh, we're encouraged by Paul to speak the truth in love, and, and that is a very wise little couplet that um, we need to, it literally says truthing. We need to truth it 
we need to speak truthfully to one another in love. And many people have said some people are so truthful they're not loving. Many people are so loving they're not truthful. Getting to the last 10% is being sure to try to, to gather those two together and say, I believe here that we have spoken the truth and I believe that we have spoken the truth in love. And we should check one another out even at the end of a conversation and say, so how did we do in you know uncovering the truth? And how did we do in being sure uh, to be loving in the whole matter? We need to follow through with what James is telling us about that um, we should be quick to listen and that listening time enormously important slow to speak carefully with with the words that we use courageous with the words that we use and loving and then I, I think we need to say how how can this friendship continue now and and maybe that's to be explicitly part of the conversation where we say this has been a really hard conversation these have been hard things to say, hard things to hear. How is our friendship? How are we doing? How are you doing? And how can we mend a friendship? How can we um, maintain a friendship? How can we even establish a friendship? And there's a work of the Holy Spirit. If you say, boy, this person came into our conversation and I had found myself judging him because of what I heard. Now that I've come to know him, now that I have had this chance to listen and talk, I feel as though we have become friends. There has been something that has happened in, in the transaction of a conversation by which we have become even friends. Whereas before I, th I was thinking this, this is a rogue this is a rascal. Um, all of it again to reinforce what James says. You know this, right? Yes, we do. But so many times we forget to go back to the practice of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angered. A long time ago, there was a young lady who was talking to me and I was talking to her. She was a nursing student in Vancouver, and we had had a chat. I, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Um, but at the end of the conversation, she looked at me and she said, Ian, can you please stop using listening skills? And I said, oh, my goodness. So she knew what I knew, which was there are ways that you, you know, can practice listening. So you repeat to people what you think they have said and all that kind of stuff. What she wanted to say to me was this. Don't just make this something academic. Don't make it something that is a skill or a discipline. This is us. So stop using listening skills. So what I'm saying today is not to be written up in a, a journal as, you know, the formula for good conversation the use of good listening skills before um, good communication skills in, in using your, your tongue. All of it is to say, 
you know this, right? We are a community of people, and you know that we'll get in trouble if we don't, first of all, listen, and then secondly, slowly and carefully speak, and guard ourselves from anger or whatever expression might be emoted. Um, guard ourselves from resentment, guard ourselves from hurt, guard ourselves from retaliation, guard ourselves from all of that, but prepare ourselves for being guarded against those wrong um, responses by having the kind of use of the tongue that is healthy, listening first and then speaking carefully, slowly, and let our words probably be fewer. No more important a way is it true than what we say to God. And so the closing song is about the words that we speak, which can sometimes tumble out. And maybe we need to say, let our words be few, even in our worship, in our relationship with God, not promising all kinds of things. With one another, with our Savior, let our words be few, let them be true, uh, let them be from our hearts, may they be honest. And uh, with James, um, we'd like to sit him down and say, James, man, you are a smart guy. You're right, we do know this, right? Yes, we do know this, but let's be sure we do it.